Hey, Rich Fork, I just want to remind you of a few things before we continue and get into a new series uh, in the book of Philippians today. Uh, we do have a few things that we want to make sure you're aware of. First of all, this coming Wednesday, which would be February 20, February 16th, uh, we have a business meeting uh, in our multi-purpose building uh, regarding uh, the recommendation from our elders and personnel committee uh, about Caleb Starr um, to fill the staff position for our student pastor. A short video from Caleb is on our website. Uh, he was able to interact with our youth workers last weekend. Today or this Sunday, he will be doing that at 4 p.m. Uh, with our students and parents, a chance to meet him. I know that this Sunday when you watch this or Saturday, it's Super Bowl weekend. But parents, meeting him and getting to interact with he and his wife, Christina, is far more important than the Super Bowl because this has the potential to impact your students for years to come. So come, be a part of that, be a part of that business meeting on the 16th, and we will vote in that in all three services on the 20th. Now, that is about student ministry and our student minister, but about our student ministry is March 4th through 6th, D weekend it is just around the corner. Uh, the information for grades 6 through 12 uh, is in our lobby uh, each weekend, and it's online for you to sign up and get people signed up for that. And then another opportunity from our family ministry is an opportunity called Homegrown Conference for our parents. Uh, I've just compared this to a D weekend, which is a, a weekend long. This is a Friday evening through mid-Saturday where you have opportunities for you to invite people uh, to be a part of this, other parents uh, from out in our community about raising children in Christ-centered homes. So these are two great opportunities for you with the weekend uh, and with our conference coming up later that month. Uh, it has been great to be back in worship in person the past few weeks after several weeks off and time changes because of snow. We know a lot of people are still experiencing a host of illnesses, but we're grateful to be back in one of our in-person services at 8.30, 9.30, and 11. One of the things that you will not see this week, and yes, I want to remind you that you won't see it because I'd love for you to be with us in person. You won't see our, our baptism services, which are going to be spread throughout all three of our services today. A total of 11 children and or students from our student ministry will take this step of faith and obedience. So we're glad that you're joining us online, but we can't wait for you to join us back in person to see those opportunities of the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we jump into this series today. God, we thank you so much for an opportunity uh, to use, as we say almost every week, technology to Speak your word into the homes of the people that, uh, for whatever reasons, aren't able to be in the room. But God, we also want to remind and, and push a little uh, that the opportunity to be a part of community uh, happens in community, not just online. Uh, so God, I pray you would give them their, their confidence and their courage when they're ready to step back in the room. Uh, but God, also for those who do not have the ability to come, that this ministry uh, is effective and productive for them and their spiritual growth. We thank you for what you're going to do ahead of time through your word today. Uh, and as we put this uh, content online and sermons and teaching online uh, for those who are not able to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, it's been less than five years since we walked through a little tiny book of the New Testament called Philippians. Now, some of you serious note takers will say, haven't we been through this before? And the answer is yes. Quite honestly, my plan was not to step through this at this time, but was to wait until this summer. Uh, But while I was quarantined at home at the beginning of the year, I felt burdened that this is the book for us at this time right now. Because there's so many great reminders for the church. Uh, There's so many great reminders for us as individuals in these four chapters of the Bible. In each of our lobbies, we have placed these ESV um, Philippians journals for you to have to walk through. Um, We provide those for you. There's no cost. Just gives you scripture on them, one page and a blank page on the other for you to take notes. There's no cost to these, uh, as I've already mentioned. Uh, They're in both of our lobbies upstairs, but also in the check-in and check-out stations down in the children's area. If you're watching online and you'd like us to mail one of these to you, all you've got to do is call the church office and let us know that you would like a copy of the Philippians Journal, and we'll mail one out to you at the beginning of the week. Now, with that said, I do want to remind, rewind just a little bit for just a second to last Sunday. We were in Luke 10 and John 11, and we were focusing on the devotion and or the distraction of Mary and Martha. But while we were in John 11, the, the scene was set by Mary and Martha grieving the loss of their brother, brother Lazarus. He is being in what the scripture goes on to tell us in John 11. He is called out of the grave after being buried for four days. He's called out of the grave by Jesus. Scripture says the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You turn one chapter over, John 12. Jesus is sitting at a table. They're having a meal. Martha is there. Mary is about to perform another act of obedience. And who's sitting at the table having a meal with Jesus? Lazarus. John 12, 2 says, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. I rewind to that because I want you to see that when we encounter spiritual death and resurrection into life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he doesn't call us out of the tomb in order to keep us all wrapped up. Instead, he unwinds us, unwraps us, and allows us to have a relationship with him. When God delivered you out of your sinfulness and into a relationship with Him, He's released you. He desires fellowship with you at His table. He desires an ongoing relationship with Him. Now there's another person who had a transforming, life-changing, directional changing moment. His name is the Apostle Paul, the writer of the book of Philippians. Now, the life story of Paul is carefully included in church history. The book of Acts records Paul's pattern of persecuting those originally who followed Christ, but it also records the glorious moment when Jesus Christ appeared to Paul, confronted him of his sinfulness, and led him into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, he wasn't physically dead like Lazarus, but he was spiritually dead yet he was given new life in Christ. 
Talk about a day of transformation. Paul, you were murdering people in one moment of your life because of their beliefs in Jesus, but you experienced God's grace and now you're preaching to lead people into the forgiveness that you've experienced in Jesus. Now, Paul's story of transformation leads him to travel to various locations to preach the good news of Jesus, the gospel. In many of those cities, it led to Paul's imprisonment, to his beating, to his facing great opposition. Yet in the middle of those moments, God began to work and people committed their lives to Jesus Christ. One of those cities to which Paul traveled was a city called Philippi. Now, without getting too deep into history, a little bit, the history of Philippi, it's intriguing. It was not your run-of-the-mill another town. It was in the region called Macedonia. It was distinctively built as a Roman city, a little bit different than some of the cities in the area. It was under complete Roman rule, and even the streets and the scope of the city were designed to model a pattern of Rome itself. It was influential. It was important. It was a military outpost for the Roman movement in this region. Now, those of you who are history buffs, if you want to learn more, you go home and research Philippi and its history with Mark Antony, Octavian, and Augustus. It's all there. But Paul's preaching and teaching in Philippi was unique. It was of great importance to this world, to the world. This was the first church to be established in this European area. In the book of Acts 16, we read about the inception of the church of Philippi. And the way it began with three radical stories, three radically different people experiencing the grace of Jesus. In Acts chapter 16, during Paul's time there, the message of Jesus Christ impacts the city throughout these three people. The first one, her name is Lydia. She trusts in Jesus and was baptized. She was a part of a a women's group that met for prayer outside the city because there was no synagogue. The next person, it was a demon-possessed slave girl. You can read about it in Acts 16. When she came to Christ, which caused quite a stir because she was demon-possessed, and Paul turns to her and casts the demons out of her. It caused an uproar. Her Master, her owner, was now no longer making money. She was a fortune teller, and when she experienced her radical encounter with Jesus, with the early church leaders, she was changed in an instant. Her owners got mad. They began to accuse the early church leaders, and essentially no more lady that can read fortunes, no more money. So they come after Paul. They have him placed in prison. Paul and Timothy then are arrested. They're placed in jail. Midnight comes and they're singing to the Lord. They're praising Him. An earthquake comes. The prisoners have a chance. Let's get out of here. But Paul remains the man in charge and the man in charge of the jail comes to Jesus. He leads his family to Jesus. He is baptized and his family is baptized. So let me recount Acts chapter 16. Overnight church planting 101. 
Paul is released because he is a Roman citizen. Philippi is a model of Rome. They, they leave the prison, visit with Lydia. They head out of town. They encourage them. The church of Philippi got an unexpected, unimaginable beginning. Lydia, a demon-possessed woman, and a jailer. This town has a special place in Paul's heart, this church. It is a source of encouragement, and as a source of encouragement to them, he writes them a letter of encouragement, but also of instruction, ten years later. Paul is writing while in prison. He writes to encourage those in the leadership of the church through the hope that he has in Jesus. He writes these words to them. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ to the saints who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul greets the leadership of the church of Philippi in his traditional greeting, grace and peace, but he's also reminding them that this comes only through the grace of Jesus Christ. It's within the next few verses where the heart, the, the purpose, the direction of Paul comes pouring out of this letter. What you're going to hear throughout this letter will challenge you, it can encourage you, and even convict us. What I want us to see is that joy should be the vision and the direction of every follower of Jesus Christ. Joy should be the vision of and direction of every follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not always a big fan of acronyms, but I saw that acronym of joy in several commentaries, especially by a gentleman by the name of Stephen Lawson, and I could not move my brain away from the reminder that Paul outlines in his letter that this acronym serves for. Joy in Christ. Jesus, others, yourself. Joy, a shared vision. Jesus, others, yourself. Now this idea is going to guide us not only today, but throughout this entire study of Philippians. Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. When I read verse 3, I think maybe Paul had not met everybody in the church because he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Maybe he forgot some things. Surely the church of Philippi wasn't perfect. They were sinners who'd experienced the grace of Jesus. I don't think he forgot the rough moments in ministry. Nor do I think he was overlooking their imperfections, his own, their struggles, his own. The further Paul was removed from this congregation, the things he desired to remember were not the hardships, not the time in prison, not the hardships and the difficulties, but the fellowship, the joy, the joy of loving Jesus and others, and yes, growing in your own faith. Once again, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. 
in all my remembrance. Now, as you may or may not know, we have four children. And something amazing, though, uh, happens when you have that many kids. Well, maybe this will help you with this remembrance moment. Now, my parents also have four children, which means that my parents, at some point they forgot. They misplaced the difficult parenting moments of child number one because they were pursuing having child number two, and maybe child number two they forgot, and child number three comes along, and child number four. Here's my point. Do I remember the sleepless nights? Do my parents remember the sleepless nights of having children? Yes. But thank God that we don't all make decisions about whether to have more children because we lost a night's sleep. We forget many of the difficult moments, the sicknesses, the late nights, the extra bills, the, the lack of freedom, the random expenses, the, the lack of time. And, and instead, you know what we fill them with? Remembrances. Oh, do you remember when she was four and she... Oh, do you, don't you remember the first time that he... Oh, I wish they were still four again. Do you really? You get my point? I thank God in all my remembrance of you. Did Paul forget the reality of his friends in Philippi? No. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. But they did impact Paul's life in such a way that when he looked back on them, he did so with appreciation. They gave wholeheartedly. They responded to the gospel. They encouraged Paul. And those things overcame everything else. Paul viewed the church of Philippi as partners in ministry through Jesus Christ. Rich Fork and those maybe who don't even attend Rich Fork, if I could lean into those who are a regular part of this fellowship, I just want to say thank you. I try to do this often, and I never want to say it too often to where you don't think I'm being sincere, but I thank God in my remembrances of you. As a congregation, you're uplifting, you're generous, you're, you're grace-filled. I really cannot imagine walking through the past two years in our culture and our world with any other congregation than you. Does that mean that there have not been difficult leadership moments for the last two or we'll even go for the past 17 years? Have there been difficulties? Sure. But would my family and I do it all over again with this body of believers called Rich Fork? Absolutely. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. We view you as a church, as partners in ministry through Jesus Christ. Joy-filled churches exemplify gratitude and grace. Jesus, others, yourself. Joy-filled churches exemplify gratitude and grace. Verse 4 continues. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
Now, this word partnership is derived from the word fellowship, and the Greek word for that is the word koinonia. There's an emphasis on relationships and community. Joy-filled people focus on partnering together in the gospel. Paul was imprisoned. And the thought of these relationships, short of a time as they were, brought joy to his heart. We were created through our relationship to Jesus Christ and our love for others to become co-laborers, partners through Jesus. As I've walked through many seasons of life as a pastor, I've never had someone that's close to breathing their last say, I'm at the end of life. Bring that plaque off my wall signifying that accomplishment or that degree or bring me my stack of books that I need to finish reading. No, they say, I want the people beside me that I love. I want the relationships. I want the partners in ministry and in life. There are churches named for this word, koinonia. There are partners. There are sermon series and and even Sunday school classes that are named in churches, fellowship or koinonia. But let's not water down this word, partnership. The driving vision for their unity, it was not the personality of their pastor. It wasn't their individual personalities. It wasn't their worship style. It wasn't their great facility. It wasn't even their relief efforts or their ministry opportunities. Their unity was not found on service times. Their unity was not found on a spiritual high moment in worship service, which are important. The driving vision for their unity was the message and the hope of Jesus Christ. D.A. Carson says this about fellowship, koinonia, partnership. The heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. What does that mean for Paul? And what does that mean for us? When you and I have a shared vision and a direction, then even when things become difficult, even when personality conflicts arise, and they will, we remain committed together to a vision and direction. Paul is reminding them that their partnership was based upon one thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth of Jesus Christ entering the world becoming an offering, a payment for our sins, for the sins of mankind, and conquering death through resurrection, offering us eternal life and a conquering daily life. Joy-filled people focus on sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. So why is it so important for Paul? At the onset of this letter of encouragement, to thank them, Because if the church loses sight of our unified mission, partners in the gospel, then we fight over individual visions. I wish I'd written the statement that I'm about to read. I found it in one of the resources for this series. When the church loses sight of its biblical mission, then it fights over individual visions. 
this is painful. It's a sad reality that majority of churches around the globe will face. But we must remain vigilant to go to shape our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ, to have difficult conversations leading to, at times, painful decisions as we partner together to continue to spread the name of Jesus. If we stand unified as partners in the gospel, we can impact individual lives, homes, communities, other churches. But if we allow ourselves to become separated into little holding areas, holding our individual dreams and visions in our hands, then the church begins to crumble because we no longer are driven by the mission, partners in the gospel. Paul deeply loves this church. And he does not desire for the passion, the unity to be squelched by selfishness. The mission is joy. Jesus, others, yourself. And it's ongoing. So as we come to this next verse, it's a verse that some of you are familiar with. It's verse 6. It says this. And I am sure, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Joy-filled people are always a work in progress. Joy is always under construction. Have you ever gotten stuck behind a salt truck here lately, we've had some of that, or a scraper, or one of the big devices that's going down the road to cut the grass on the two-lane road. A veteran operator of one of those big machines one day decided to try to relieve the tension that results from backing up traffic. On both the front and the rear of the grader, he put a sign that said, the road to happiness is almost always under construction. God is not finished with any of us. Now I'm sure if we pause, you can think of someone who you could say, well, I know. They're rough around the edges in some way, shape, or form. Pastor, I know a person in my life who who God is obviously not even close to finished with them yet. The reality is that someone we each know is a work in progress, is standing in front of us in the mirror every morning. We need to be reminded that our salvation, our relationship to God is not a matter of our working for God's acceptance, but it is God working for us and in us. None of us can work our way into earning God's favor. Nor can any of us, through our work, maintain God's ongoing favor. God has done the work on the cross. Then He equipped us with the Holy Spirit in each of us to continue to complete His work. Joy-filled people, Jesus, others, yourself, are always a work in progress. 
We are all a work in progress, every one of us. Maybe you're happy today to hear that reminder that God's not finished with you yet. We must admit, I'm so thankful that this is not the end. This is not complete. We must believe that God is continuing to complete us and we must rejoice that God is moving in us. I read this this week. It said, this is God's work and this is good work. It went on to say, when someone gives their lives to Christ, this is God's work and this is good work. When someone turns from addiction, this is God's work and this is good work. When someone faces less than ideal circumstances and responds with joy, this is God's work and this is good work. When we face our temptations and do not give in to sin, this is God's work and this is good work. When we explore Scripture and it reveals areas in our lives needed to be taken away and changed, this is God's work and this is good work. In God's work, we must continue to pursue our faith. We must explore His Word. We must trust it to continue to work in our lives. Pastor Kent Hughes reflects on God's continual work in his life through Jesus Christ. He said, as I reflect on my 50 plus years in Christ, it is indeed God who has kept me. It is not my grip on God that has made the difference, but his grip on me. I'm not confident in my goodness. I'm not confident in my character. I'm not confident in my history. I'm not confident confident in my title of reverend or pastor. I'm not confident in my perseverance. I am confident in God, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Maybe some of you began running the race of faith, pursuing Jesus, and along the way you've become spiritually winded, you're out of breath, and you stopped on the side of the road because you see the miles ahead of you, and you just say, I can't go forward anymore. I am sure of this that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Every person watching this who's trusted in Jesus, every joy-filled person is a work in progress. And that's me. And yes, that's you. But we must respond to the prompting of Scripture. We must respond to the accountability of other believers. We must respond and move according to the Spirit's leading in our life. God is not finished with you yet. He will be finished with you the day He calls you home through your trust in Jesus. And I can say all this to you through the words of Paul. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment 
and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Each week there are circumstances and situations which arise in a congregation of our size. It it honestly blows my mind at times to know all that some of you face and you endure. From cancer to job loss to surgeries to difficulties that come with aging to things that you face in your personal life to the pressures that our students face in school to life and career changes to moving maybe it's things that you're dealing with from your past of abuse or difficulties the list I could create for on and on and on and on but Paul says you're not alone I'm a partaker of the grace of Jesus and I hold you in my heart. Can you imagine with me, Paul, chained? Writing this letter, most possibly through his assistant, Timothy. And I don't know if he wrote it with tears coming down his face or at the same time with a smile. But he says, I remember you. I'm grateful for you. God is not finished with you. Keep pursuing joy. Jesus, others, and the necessary change in you. One author asked this question about the opening verses of Philippians. Are you growing in joy? Your love for Jesus, your love for others, and the pursuit of change in you. Let's pray together. God, we come to a pause, not a closing, but a pause in uh, this opening chapter. There's so much more to cover, to walk through, but I hope and pray that it's been a worthy investment of every person's time who's watching. That this morning or the afternoon or whenever they're watching they would stop and say, I'm a work in progress. And that's okay. Because He is faithful to complete me. It won't be finished until the day that I leave this earth. But until then, I will be a partner in the gospel with other believers. I'll be a partaker of His grace so that I can experience, that I can pour joy into the lives of others. God, be with us as we continue this study over the next few weeks together. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, my guess is that some of you, as you are watching this, needed the reminder of this that I needed today, that God is not finished with you yet. But now some of you may need to take action. You may need to put aside a sinful action and put on the things of God. You've been sidelined or uh, by another vision and you're missing the mission or you're not a partner with a body of believers wherever you are. You're a work in progress like me. As a staff, we talked about this passage two weeks ago and I wonder, as you evaluate and you think and as we close this up in just a, in just a few moments, when you evaluate this passage, when you allow it to sink in, would, who would you say is a partner of the gospel with you?
the hope of Jesus Christ with you. Who that you know is a partaker of grace? I want to leave you with two questions that sound very similar, but they're drastically different. Who is a partner with you of the good news of Jesus Christ? Who would you say they walk with me? And then the question turns. To whom are you a partner with the good news of Jesus Christ? Who are you offering joy, counsel, love, support, encouragement that would look back on you and say, I thank God in my remembrance of you. We look forward to continuing this examination of Philippians in the weeks to come. Jesus, others, yourself. May our lives be realigned over the next few weeks as we grow in joy.